Mother's Day, as you've kind of gathered. For many, this is a day of joy to celebrate the moms that God has given us biologically, uh, our moms who, are, uh, who gave birth to us, who raised us, who helped us to become the men and women that we are. Um, among us are uh, older mothers who have raised their children and may even right now have grandchildren with them. Praise God for that. That's an amazing gift. Some of us here are younger mothers who uh, have young children with them who, you know, uh, may be a little stressful at times, but at least right now they're still very cute. Some of you are slightly older mothers who have teenage children, and uh, I'm sorry. But God still, God still empowers you and blesses you, and your teenage children are, uh, are still a gift from God, as you well know in your best times. I want to also remember that there are some women here who, don't, who aren't mothers and who want to be. I, I know that Mother's Day can be sometimes a bit of a, a downer for them. Uh, I, I just wanted you to hear that God still has a plan for you and is still using you right now. You are still mothers, and I'll get to that in a moment. Some of us are probably grieving this today because our mothers are no longer with us for one reason or another. Um, some of us are mom, as mothers, realize that they've been good mothers and some of, us, some of the mothers here may actually recognize the mistakes that they've made. God loves you too. And he's using these things. For all things work together for the good of those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And even now, as you may feel that uh, you, while that you, you are a mom and while you think you may have failed, God didn't fail through you. And God loves you and he's using you. Praise God for you. You see, motherhood is important. It really is. In fact, it's so important that God actually set it up in his church to make sure that moms were something that we would all have and something that almost every woman would see. Uh, I, just, just before I begin into going into Hosea, I just wanted to open this. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you, you, you know that little passage where it says, you know, uh, treat the older men as fathers and the older women as mothers. I don't think that's just saying that, they need to be, uh, that we need to be polite to older women in our congregation. I don't think that's all that it means. I think it also means that if you are a woman who is older in the faith in the church, you are called to be a mother in the church. God is using you even now as we speak to mother other people in the congregation, to be, fulfill the role that God has set to disciple younger people. That's one of the reasons why I think it's so brilliant that uh, the church is generally set up so that we would be discipling one another. In some cases, there are people who, you know, aren't as mature as us or who are more mature than us. And for people like me who, honestly, while I would like to be mature, I'm not really as mature as I, would, as I could be to place myself under older men and under, under older women to hear what their wisdom is, to let them be mothers to me. And those of you who are older in the faith uh, than other women to 
put yourself in positions where you are an example to other people. And before somebody thinks that that just means people who are uh, genetically, uh, physically older than other people, that doesn't just mean physically older. Uh, there are, even among you teenagers who are here, who know Jesus, there are probably people around you who you can be reflecting the gospel to, reflecting Jesus to. It's one of the brilliant parts about what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, that it says treat older women as mothers. It doesn't, older just means older. It doesn't mean, you know, you hit the age of 18 and you suddenly became an older woman. It means older. So some of you who are teenagers or in your 20s, you can be actually discipling the women who come after you. And that is actually a good and godly role. And praise God because he set up his church like this. For us to be mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters to one another. And on this Mother's Day, remember that. And when I talk about this, I don't want to under, underscore or oversimplify the fact that motherhood isn't easy. I mean, I'm, I'm not a mom. I, I, don't have the, I don't have the ability to be a mother. Just one of those things. God, in his wisdom, decided that I should not be that. But mothers are important. But being a mom, especially a Christian mom, isn't easy. Uh, can I get an amen from the moms just to make sure I'm right there? Am I right? Being a Christian mom isn't easy. Okay, a few people think, think it's not easy. Okay. I don't think it's easy because being a Christian generally isn't that easy. In fact, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God and God dwelling in us, honestly, it would be impossible for any of us to be good, godly people. And so being a good, godly mom is going to be difficult. And yet, as it's difficult, we believe that God has given us the ability to look into his word and to see what God has said to us, and in that, to be strengthened. Yet, let's be clear, the Bible is old. You know that, right? It wasn't written yesterday. It's old. In fact, some parts of it are very, very old. Yet, I'm claiming that the Bible is pertinent to our lives today, to as you are moms today, the Bible is pertinent to your life and how you are a godly mom. And the, lots of people don't believe that today. I mean, we live in the 21st century in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. If you want to draw parallels to ancient Near Eastern Israel, there aren't all that many. It's a little colder here. It's a little wetter here. We uh, don't speak Hebrew. At least I don't think any of us speak Hebrew. Do any of us speak Hebrew? Okay, good. No, we don't speak Hebrew. We don't have, a king, we don't have a, a king in the same sense that Israel did. We do have a queen, but she, as a constitutional monarchy, she doesn't fulfill the same role that the king of Israel did. We don't have the same context. And so it's easy for us to imagine that what God has said in his word in the Old Testament or in the New Testament is not that important. 
It's not relevant. I, I can remember many times, I, I, I've spent way too long in university and so I have these kinds of conversations with people all the time because I'm in university and university people like to talk to religious people because they like to ask us questions. Especially when I say things like, you know, uh, up till recently I was training to be a pastor and now that I am ordained, they, they have interesting conversations with me. And they'll always come to some part, or well not always, but many times, will come to some part of the Old Testament and will say, do you really believe X? You know, like, do you believe in the flood? Or do you believe in uh, the, the miracles that Moses did? Or anything like that. And when I say yes, they say, oh, well, that was just something that happened in the past, a long time ago. There's no way you could possibly know that that happened. It's in a Bible that was written thousands of years ago. And at that point, they're right. It was written thousands of years ago. But they imagine that they don't have to believe any of it, that, that it's not acceptable. In fact, it's gotten so bad that even some Christians, I, I remember listening to a sermon, I listened to it yesterday morning, uh, there was a pastor who last week actually said that as Christians, we need to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. Like take two-thirds of the Bible and just kind of throw that away because we don't need it anymore. Because it's difficult, it's hard, it's got things that it says in there that are kind of funky. And it does. I'm going to be preaching on it in the next couple of weeks. There are some really, really strange parts of the Bible. Is the Bible still applicable? And admittedly, it's difficult to understand some of these things. There are parts of it that don't seem to make sense. But God in his wisdom, has actually done something in the word itself to help us to, to deal with this. There is a way by which we are called to interpret and to apply the things that the Old Testament says. And to be clear, I'm gonna say this as clearly as I can. All of the Bible is still applicable to our lives. All of it. And that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. In the Bible, and uh, you've probably seen the New Testament, a lot of times Christians preach on the New Testament, it's a little bit easier to preach on. But if you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a little bit different than the New Testament. Remember that the Old Testament was written over several thousand years. It's got, it covers tons of history. It's got lots of things from the, from the covenants of Abraham. It's got things about Isaac and Jacob. It talks about Moses and the covenants that he's had. It talks about all the period of the judges and then after that, all the period of the kings. And then it comes to the point that, we did, that I've preached on before in Nehemiah. Yet, because it's been such a long time, because it covers such a long time, it has the same kinds of things that we'd experience now. Nowadays, we like to think, well, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. Well, then why should we believe anything that, uh, that that's happened? It's just really, really old in a different context. That actually happened in the Bible. I mean, let's face it, the context that Abraham found himself in was different than the judges found themselves in and different again than what the kings found themselves in, and different again than what the people in the, in the exile found themselves in. Each of these periods were different, 
periods. And each of these times, people, like we are tempted to do, often said things like, well, it's been a thousand years, it's been a hundred years, why do we have to believe this anymore? And even then, how would we apply it now? And God, in his wisdom, sent prophets. Now, I'm kind of worried about using the term prophets here because we've got wacky, uh, wacky ideas about what prophets do sometimes. Prophets in the Old Testament, and I'm not gonna talk about all of the things that people that would say prophets do, but I will say right now that one of the things that prophets did was to take the word of God that has come before and apply it to the context that the people found themselves in in the different periods afterwards. Prophets were highly contextual people and contextual in a good way. They didn't just simply ignore parts of the Old Testament to make uh, make new stories. They took what God had said, the promises God had made, and applied them to the situations that the kingdom found, the people of Israel found themselves in. And for that reason, for the reason that I think we are so often tempted to discount the Old Testament and to discount parts of scripture, that's why my next series of sermons after I finished Nehemiah is going to be through the Minor Prophets. And I'm going to start with the, with the book of Hosea, which will be starting today. God promises that his word does good things. In Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 55, verse 11, he says, so shall my word that be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Lord God sent his word to change us, to make us better, to make us more into the image of his son, and it's always applicable. So my, my thesis for today, the thing that I want us to, believe, to, get, to walk away with today is gonna to be this. I'm gonna say that where we are tempted to see the Bible as possibly overarching principles for people generally, abstract theories that we can apply to our lives, I'm gonna say that the message of the minor prophets and, espe- and especially Hosea this morning shows that God is at work in the grit and the dirt and the joys and the pleasures of our real historical lives. His gospel is not merely for all people everywhere, though it is that. It's not merely that. It is also for you right now in whatever situation you find yourself in. God's encouragement in the word of God is for you right now. And I know it's kind of hard for me to explain the difference between that. But it's not merely an abstraction. God cares about you now, where you are, whatever you're struggling with. He cares about it. And more than that, he speaks to it. And I think we can prove it. This is Hosea chapter one, 
verse 1. And Hosea chapter, just to be clear, I'm only preaching on the first verse. I know, hopefully it'll be shorter than I usually go. Here it is. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Riveting, huh? Most of us would recognize what that is, right? That's a title. Basically, the first verse of Hosea is just telling us what the book of Hosea is about. But let's be clear, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and training in righteousness, that the person of God might be prepared for every good work. So, this title is important to us now, and I'll show you how. First of all, notice the first five words. The word of the Lord. I have to say that pretty expressively because it's a pretty expressive phrase, don't you think? The word of the Lord. This isn't just the word of Hosea. This isn't the opinion of a good theological, uh, theological thinker. This isn't a, the ideas of Steve Daw, though Steve Daw is pretty amazing. It's not just his thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. And to be clear, it's bigger than you're thinking, at least if you're not looking carefully at your text. Notice, the the, if you open your Bible and you look at Hosea chapter one, verse one, and you look at the word Lord, do you notice something a little funny about that? Usually, the words that you get in books, you know, you capitalize the first letter and then leave those less, rest lowercase. In most translations, though, you'll find that Lord in Hosea 1.1 is all caps. There's a reason for that. That's actually a convention that translators have for a specific word in Hebrew that gets translated into English. Theologically, they call it the tetragrammaton because it's four letters. What, uh, well, transliterated as Y-H-W-H. If you go back to Exodus and you hear what Moses says when he asks God, what's your name, who are you? God responds with that, the thing that is translated as Lord, all caps. So when I say the word of the Lord, it's saying something a little more than saying, well, once upon a time God spoke to Hosea. It's saying that specifically, a specific God spoke to Hosea. And more than that, it's the God that claims to be self-existent creator of the universe God. It's a big deal. But more than that, remember where Hosea is in your Bible. You're not gonna find Hosea in the first five books called the Pentateuch. You're not even gonna find Hosea in the lists of the Kings or in the Chronicles or in the Psalms because Hosea comes a little bit later than those guys. And yet by saying the word of the Lord, the text of Hosea is saying that what follows 
stands in the full continuity of everything that God has done, is doing, and will do. Do you understand? He's not saying that Hosea is just some guy who's speaking his own opinions in a specific context. He's saying that what Hosea says here, in a real sense, stands in a long line of things that God has said. When a prophet applies the word of God to the context that he's in, the prophet is speaking the word of God. This is the same word that later on in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 will be said, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Excited yet about this? It's a big deal. When, when, when we talk about the word of God, this is what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy 3.16 when I said this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you see in the beginning of Hosea chapter one, it's saying the word of the Lord it's saying something profound. It's saying something important. It's saying something about what's following. And what's following is claiming then to be extremely important, extremely edifying, and extremely valuable. Written for your joy, written that you might be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus, that you might be full, that you might be trained for all good works. That was point one that you can get in Hosea chapter one, verse one. But I told you that I said that the Bible is always applicable and it's always applicable pointedly to individuals. Point two, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri. It's interesting for, to me that God very rarely just simply uses a megaphone and blasts out to everybody, here's my word. I mean, let's face it, he could do it. Uh, my atheist friends sometimes say, if God is real, why doesn't he write across the heavens, hey dude, I'm God, I'm real. And of course, usually I point out that if, if they did that, chances are good, you'd probably just go to a psychiatrist and not really believe that that actually says what it obviously says. You see, God instead, though, uses specific people and speaks to specific individual people, and I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think he has to. I think he chooses to. And there's a simple reason for that. God wants us to be clear that though he is the God of the universe, the God of all that is, the creator of everything fully self-existent, He's also your God, your God. Personally, he cares for you. He is not merely some kind of abstract God that lives in the heirs of the philosophers. He talks to you. 
He cares for you. Individually, whoever you are, even if your name happens to be Hosea, which is the name of like 20 guys in the Old Testament, so many so that he has to actually tell which one it is, the son of a guy named Beery. God talks directly to real people, to specific people, to people in the world as it is. When you open your word, when you open the Bible, God is not just speaking generally to everybody, he's speaking to you. That's why we have to be careful when we read the word of God. Be careful not to read, read the Bible thinking, oh, well, this would be really good if my neighbor down the street read it. He's not talking to your neighbor down the street. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. Get that. He wants to speak to you. The Lord God speaks directly to individuals through his word. And when you think about it, this keeps perfectly with God's MO, doesn't it? Remember how God generally works throughout history? I mean, we know for a fact that he can create universes. He says, light, there's light. He says to something, be, and it is. He can dry up riverbeds in seconds. He can carpet countries in locusts if he wants to. And yet most of the time, most of the time you see him in scripture talking to individual people and working through individual people. Even in the most amazing instance you see in scripture of God working, namely the incarnation, you see him working with individuals. In Luke chapter one, verses 46 to 48, Mary gets it right when she, Mary being the mother of Jesus, gets it right when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations shall call me blessed. God speaks directly to people in humble situations. Just some dude. Hosea, son of Beery, maybe even you. So that has a very strict form of application here for you and I think it's important that we see it here. God does not merely bring his word to bear on large cultures shaping and changing them. We have a God who knows the details. We have a God who cares about the details. And friends, we're details. So when I say that, God cares about you. I don't know if you actually get that. God cares about you. And if for this morning, and I, I say this, I don't know about who is here because I don't really know all of you very, very intimately. But today, if you imagine that God has forgotten you, with all due respect, if you feel that way, I, I don't want to minimize your feelings. Feelings feel very real. It is not possible that God forgot you. It's not possible. If you think God has forgotten you, you are wrong. 
He cares about you. He knows you. He can speak to you. And you know what? You may actually have a Bible in front of you, one of these wondrous books. He can talk to you right now. He hasn't forgotten you. Because God works through individuals. He talks to individuals. He talks to the details. He cares about the details. He doesn't speak through the megaphone of skywriting and he doesn't do it in Hosea. He speaks to an individual guy. Hosea, son of Beery. Just a guy. That's point two. Point three of Hosea chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord comes in a real context. Now, I, I'm, I'm in a bit of a problem here when I say context because we in the modern West have kind of messed up the word context. We do horrible things to it. There's two ways we do horrible things to the word context. First of all, because some of us really like to use the word context and say that we want things to be contextualized in Scripture, we imagine that the context trumps the message. Let me give you an example. The Bible says, don't steal. And yet, we'll say, well, the property values of the ancient Near East were different than the property values now. So things that would have been property then are the only things he's talking about. So when the Bible says, don't steal, he's not talking about, say, plagiarism. Except, no, actually he is. The context doesn't trump the message. We try to use context sometimes as a way to overwhelm what the Bible actually tells us. We imagine that because we, we come up with these stories about what the old world looked like, usually stories that are completely speculative that have absolutely no warrant whatsoever. We imagine that because, I don't know, uh, Romans was written to the, to the Romans, obviously, that we have to understand exactly what the Roman culture was at that time to understand what Paul was saying to us. And no, no, actually we don't. It might help color it, but that's not the way it goes. But then on the other side, people reacting to this hyper-contextualization of texts, trying to make sure that the Bible fits every context that we can possibly imagine. Some people go the other direction entirely and imagine that the Bible doesn't need any context at all. Have you, have you run into this before? People who don't seem to think the Bible needs any context at all? I'll give you a very simple example. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. It's in Jeremiah. Um, unfortunately, that's not contextually what he's talking about. Because the next few verses, he'll say the exact opposite about another group of people in Jeremiah's time. And so the result is, either people seem to care about context and look too much into the context and imagine that it overwhelms the, the type of scripture. And then on the other end, some people believe that the Bible doesn't need to be contextualized at all. In fact, not even with itself. That sermon I told you about earlier about the guy who says we need to unhitch the Bible, the Old Testament from the New Testament, he has a terribly decontextualized view 
of a single passage in the book of Acts. He just imagined that this one passage could stand on its own without actually looking at, you know, the few verses that went immediately before it and immediately after it, let alone the rest of the Bible. And yet in Hosea, we see that the Lord speaks in a context. It says, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's, by the way, Jeroboam the second, not the first. It's a real context. And in case you aren't catching this, have you, uh, uh, Jordan actually talked to me this, about this this morning. Uh, you know, you see the word Uzziah? Have you ever heard that name before? It's a very famous name, at least in scriptural context. If you've gone to a missions conference, you've probably heard it in the title part of, uh, of a passage of scripture people usually refer to. You know, Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, Hosea says, I speak in the time of Uzziah. That means that Uzziah, or sorry, that Hosea and Isaiah are living around the same time. It's a real context. Hosea is talking to a real time. And by the way, I I find it interesting that I use that Isaiah passage because it's very common at missions conferences because it's going to go on, you know, how you need to uh, say, here am I, send me, after the coal touches your lips. And then everybody says, "We'll, we'll stand up and we'll go into worldwide missions or we'll go into whatever thing that I'm saying that God is calling you to right now. And then they'll forget the context of the rest of the passage of Isaiah 6 where Isaiah tells the people, you're not going to succeed. He tells the prophet Isaiah, you're not going to succeed, people are not going to listen to you, but I am still glorious. See, context is important, and God speaks in context. He speaks in the context that you're in. He speaks in the context that you feel. Friends, he doesn't just speak to you as if you're some isolated person who doesn't meet with other people. That you're somehow separated from the culture you're in. Do you you think he's surprised by the fact that you live in 21st century Newfoundland? He isn't. Do you think he's ignorant of the the struggles that you personally have? He's not. So when you apply the word of God, the word of God is still applicable to you in your context. It's applicable to you in the situations you're in. It's applicable to you personally, not just as a general concept. You see, this is what prophets do. This is what I mean when I'm saying that prophets speak the word of God into the specific context. What God is doing through prophets is calling his people again to himself, specifically, in context because he cares for them. And friends, if you know Jesus today, that includes you. You are his people. You are his family. And so I started off by saying that sometimes motherhood isn't easy. And I added things to it by saying that all of you 
who are female and in this room are actually called to, in some sense, of motherhood, whether that is actually going to be physical or not. It is difficult, but I'll tell you right now, God knows you personally. The God of the universe, the God who speaks in the continuity of all scripture, who gives promises to his people and says that he loves them and empowers them. He's speaking directly, personally, accurately to you. And he knows your situation. He knows all of the problems that you might come up with in your head. And he loves you and he is still speaking to you. The word of God, the word of the Lord is always applicable. As to how that's applied, sometimes we're messed up in that. We have trouble with that, that's why we spend time looking into it, but first and foremost, before we begin this long series that I'm probably gonna be doing in the prophets, and there's gonna be some really, really weird things going on in these prophets. I don't know if any of you've read ahead, but let's just say there's a reason I didn't, didn't use all of chapter one for Mother's Day. <laughs> Friends, it's all applicable. It's all valuable. It's all there for your good. So, what, as in conclusion, I just wanna say, what does it mean for mothers, us on Mother's Day 2018? Pretty simple. God, his word, his covenants, his promises apply to us today. He apply, it applies to me today. It applies to you today. That doesn't necessarily mean it's always gonna feel good. Sometimes the Lord needs to convict us of things. But it's always applicable and it's always for your good. If today you're joyfully celebrating the mothers in your lives, whether biological or spiritual, God is speaking into your joy to make it complete. By making the joy ultimately joy in him, he's doing that right now. If you're frustrated this morning, unable to see what you need to do next, God speaks to you in his word to guide you and strengthen you. If you're grieving or hurt, God is speaking in his word to comfort you right now and give you peace. If this morning you find yourself arrogantly believing that God is saying nothing to you and his word and you're blithely continuing on in sin, God's word is speaking to you to convict you, to call you back to him that you might learn humility and come to a good, solid, joyful faith in him and not in your own arrogance. God's work, word speaks to you to convict you of sin, to call you to repentance, to receive forgiveness and cleanse the cleansing Jesus purchased for you on the cross. So friends, this morning, the application of knowing that God speaks to you that it is the Lord who speaks to you, that he does speak to you personally, and that it is going to be in knowledgeable of the context you're in, then put your trust in the Lord this morning and listen to him through his word. Let's pray.
Loving, gracious Father, I pray that people will forgive me for going long. I pray that you would be uh, kind to us, that you would call us again to love you, to seek after you, and to see you through your word. I pray for the mothers in this room. I pray that the mothers would be, get a special dose of blessing today, that they would hear you speaking to them and giving them peace. Lord God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.